0: Welcome to the Future of Australia podcast, where your host, Derek Stewart, interviews the entrepreneurs and founders running the 100 fastest growing new businesses in Australia.
1: On episode 47, I interview Alex Solo, the co-founder of SprintLaw. We discuss how he started making websites at 10 years old played in a band and also had a passion to work as a lawyer. Why choosing between all three for his university studies was very difficult. How during university, he worked in tech in a company that scaled rapidly before starting and selling his own web design agency prior to taking a big firm grad job as a lawyer. Why his passion for technology led him to start Sprint Law, a legal tech business, solving the issues he saw for underserved small businesses and startups accessing legal advice. How COVID leveled the playing field, removing many points of difference between big CBD offices and high status law firms. How it allowed Sprint Law to quickly expand into the UK and normalize lawyers working from home without an office. If you are a startup or SME looking for online legal advice for your contracts and agreements, check out sprintlaw.com.au. That's S-P-R-I-N-T-L-A-W.com.au. So I'm here with Alex Solo, the co-founder of Sprint Law. Welcome to the podcast, Alex.
0: Thanks, Derek. Good to be here.
1: Excellent. So, can you tell us what were you doing before you started Sprint Law? What did you study? What type of companies were you working in, or what roles?
0: So, I guess Sprint Law is a is a legal business. So, a bit of my background is is working and studying uh, in in the legal industry and studying law. So, um, uh, but but before I got into law, I also worked a little bit in technology, and and I guess that's sort of a little bit of the story of of, of where Sprint Law came from. But um, so back at university, I studied a combined law degree with media and communications, um, and kind of always had a bit of an interest in technology. Considered doing computer science actually when I enrolled in university, but um, but for some reason at the last minute decided that that I would do the complete opposite and study law. Um, but you know when I was at uni, I, I I was lucky enough to start working at a couple of technology companies um, in in sort of. Uh, Towards the beginning of my time at university, and, I, and in particular, I worked at this one company called Hopfrog, that was a small um, tech startup, online business startup, uh, which um, over the kind of next few years I started there, you know, first year as a first year uni student, six people there. Over the next few years, it kind of grew to about 200 staff and um, I was suddenly managing like a team of people and so on. So was having this experience at uni where I was um, studying law and this media thing, but also working a little bit in tech. And seeing both sides of the coin. Uh, Later on, I started a business um, doing sort of like a small web app development agency. Um, Again, just a a university thing uh, that that did quite well and grew a little bit. And and, um, we were helping a lot of small businesses in Australia develop websites and and apps and those kinds of things. And then then graduated from university, did the web design thing for a little bit, but decided that I had this law degree. I wanted to see what the legal industry was like, so ended up selling that business um, and going and starting working as a corporate lawyer at one of the big Australian law firms. Um, so sort of went from the the tech entrepreneurial type thing into the more traditional corporate law environment, and um, and I worked there for uh, about four and a half years, um, f- starting as a, a sort of um, more of a corporate lawyer and then moving into technology law so the subject matter being technology but still being a lawyer, obviously having that bit of tech background. Um, but um, and I guess we can get into this a bit more later but yeah uh, you know having worked in tech and then in in the legal industry, um, you know those two ingredients kind of led me to start thinking about combining them and starting a thing like sprint law yeah.
1: so, so if we go back to when you' were, say 15, three sort of not obviously connected paths media, law, tech was tech your real passion the others were kind of a bit of an insurance a bit of a please the family safe path or did you have a genuine interest in law political science other things or media marketing H- how do you sort of remember that time before you had sort of made a decision in any direction but had all these sort of ideas in your head maybe uh, just before sort of finishing high school
0: now it's a good good question and and I guess it was an interesting one for me like growing up I was definitely like a bit of a tech nerd like was tr- making websites when i was 10 years old and that kind of stuff and always thought i would just be a tech person got to the sort of um 15 16 and started getting i guess growing up a bit getting interested in other other things like humanities um english in school history these kinds of things um and i also uh played a lot of music like i'm um i'm i'm still i still play music now but but it was something i did a lot played in bands and stuff as a teenager and so um, that's very obviously associated with the humanities. So kind of started off as a tech nerd kind of guy <laughs> and then became a humanities dude at the at the last minute. And so, you know, probably it was like, if you asked me when I was 15, what I wanted to do, it's like, oh, I want to work in technology. And then if you ask me two years later, it's like, hey, humanities is so interesting and amazing. And I want to just do something humanity-ish. And so, um, you know, that led me to the arts law path. Um, but, you know, um, uh, I guess... Still, a part of me was was you know a tech guy growing up, so that's kind of where the 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 humanities thing came from. Not to say law is particularly humanities, but certainly the arts side was. I did a I did a music major with my media degree as well, so so the music was a big part of that as well. Yeah.
1: Yeah, so like a lot of teenagers, I guess you're sort of rotating through different personas, like the musician, musical arts and the kind of corporate, lawyer, big firm, high status and the kind of tech and futurist and kind of, I guess, you're yeah, figuring out the right sort of identity. Um, mm. And then like when you were studying law, did you enjoy it or your passion was really in the tech company and the startup you were working at? Um, and law again was kind of you think, oh, maybe in five years I need like a salary job, but for now it's have fun and, you know, build apps and stuff like that. Or did you not, I mean, obviously you enjoyed law enough after you graduate to get a law job, but, but were you, again, longer term thinking that tech was really where your future was?
0: Really wasn't sure. Like I really had a very surprisingly rudimentary understanding of what being a lawyer was until I graduated and started working. When I was studying, it was so intense that you almost didn't have time to think about the long term because <laughs> you were just learning what this industry was. I I, I think I kind of realized pretty early on I'd probably go need to go work in this industry to work out if it was for me or not. But <laughs> it was getting the sense by kind of year one or two that like the typical lawyer personality, um particularly I went to Sydney University, which is one of the classic law schools, was not really my vibe. Now that didn't mean that I wouldn't want to do anything with it, but but I definitely didn't see myself as as the more traditional lawyer. Um, and and so I think the university was Definitely a discovery period going, well, I've ended up in law because really I got interested in, in, in things other than tech just before university. And it's, as you say, the kind of thing you do, if you just do well in high school, you just do law school. If you can get in, just do it. was kind of the (laughs) vibe at the time. Um, so I'm here, I'm doing it and you know, I'll, I'll see what it's about. And then, um, yeah, as I got closer to the end of my degree, it was like, Hmm. I need to learn a bit more about this law thing, but feeling like it probably won't be the rest of my life doing it. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So you're in these tech companies, you're helping small businesses with tech. So imagine again in your day job kind of so to speak at uni, everything's tech, automation, um, you know, using leveraging technology. What was it like once you actually got into a, a big law firm, which is stereotypically not very high tech? Mm. Um, you know, people aren't even using digital dictaphones, things of paper files, and some of that's, you know, obviously legal requirements of filings and stuff, but other is just, you know, habit. And what was it like going from very high-tech business, selling, creating tech sort of digital products and, and apps, going into sort of a traditional but large, respected sort of firm with big clients as well? Was there a big culture shock in, well, culture, but also like, you know, attitudes towards technology?
0: Definitely a big cultural shift that I had to get used to. Um, the things, the two elements that were very, very different were the, um, I guess the hierarchy of the law firm is very, very traditional workplace with like a long ladder that you climb up and then you reach to the decision-making spot after, you know, whatever, 15, 20 years these days to get to a partner in a big law firm. I mean, people do it faster, but it can take that long. Um, whereas in the startup or even running your own thing, it's like, you're, you're calling the shots or having input in the shots very early on. Um, now, uh, you know, for better or worse, because the people that have been in the big law firms for a period of time and have wisdom and experience, there's a reason that they're calling the shots. They actually have experience. But at the same time, one of the great things about tech was, um, you know, this understanding that tech moves fast and that potentially the younger staff in the business actually have the, they're at the coal face. they have the real ideas. And in the law firm, it's it was like, if you're, if you haven't been here for under, if you're here for under two years, you probably know nothing. And like, you're just, you're a little um, apprentice who needs to do their time before you have an opinion. And any opinion you have is probably wrong. So I think that element was a bit of a shock. And obviously if you're running your own company or being part of a fast growing startup, and now you're a graduate in a long corporate ladder, it's like um, definitely uh, feeling like you're not, you're not, it's going to be a long time until you get to exercise your free will in the, in the way you were before. And then the second component, which you touched on is just more cosmetically. Yeah. Just like that, the actual lack of use of technology itself and the operations <laughs> of the business paper everywhere, which, which again, I found very, very frustrating because I'd just come from very efficient workplaces to ones where, you know, I'm working till three, 3am 3 because someone wants to use a printer when they don't need to. <laughs> so yeah, definitely what you said is a
1: thing. And so, did it feel almost like a step backwards? Like you said, you're running a team. You've seen a business go from six to 200 staff. You've done your own thing. You've sold a business, you know. So, so you've kind of gone through almost the mini M&A cycle, yet now you're a grad and people are proofreading your emails and you're doing printing and copy, you know, coffee runs. And I mean, did that feel or, or did you sort of know you'd have to sort of humble yourself in a sense and, and as an apprentice in a, in a new industry? Or did that, you know, kind of hit you again as a bit of a shock? Like, oh, I was doing all this, yet no one trusts me to, you know, do anything anymore the
0: first year yeah um i i think i went in going you know i'd worked in these businesses before but neither of them were big successful machines and so working at the big law firm was the first time i got to see a successful business that was scaled robust had been around for a while and was sustaining itself and you know definitely felt like not like oh i could do this better but like i'm learning tons was the vibe and so when i was there pretty quickly i'm like Look, I'm I can't work here long term because I'll be too frustrated and it's just not my my thing. But while I'm here, I'm gonna yeah humble myself and learn absolutely as much as I can. And 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 I can say for sure, like in you know in 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 running sprint law, like so much of what I soaked in in that environment has been essential. You know, just even basic things like understanding the role of HR or like recruitment or brand building or career progression or. Cult, culture, or all of these things, which the big places do really well, but the tech companies are so new or messy or scrappy that they didn't. Um, there was a lot of that that I was learning. So, um, so I was definitely sort of walking around in the soup feeling uncomfortable um, was definitely a, <laughs> a, a thing. But at the time, it didn't stress me out too much because in my head, it's like, you know you're just going for two extra two to three extra years of of really good training so just suck it up and do it and I kind of looked at it through that lens yeah
1: yeah so even though it's an apprenticeship it's a valuable apprenticeship there's a pathway you're learning from the best you're seeing things on the inside that you can never experience from the outside and and did you find that the other grads have similar attitudes to you or you did you have quite a different I imagine unique background being in tech doing startups being a musician doing these other things versus others who are maybe wanted to be that 25 year track partner lawyer did you sort of relate to the other grads did they have different or, or was there a unique sort of mix of other law grads at the big firm with all different sort of backgrounds that weren't all sort of track law you know partner future partner type people um in there with you in the grad batch?
0: Yeah, I think it was a um definitely I, I I I and a couple of others were like probably outliers in personality and 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 um and purpose for being there. Um but it wasn't like there was a big cluster of identical people and then a few of us that were different. I think in the, peop- the people that I worked with um were a reasonably diverse group and I think that like the firms this is back in under 2011 2012 when they were recruiting were already trying to be a little less cookie cutter with the type of staff that they hired. And so, yeah, there were definitely people in there that were like discovering law. You know, you talk to them about how they're like, I don't want to do this anymore. This is not what I thought it was. And a good portion of my cohort that I started with, um, you know, some of them have stayed because that's what they want to do and they love it there in the big law firms. But a a good portion have gone and left the legal industry or done other kind of interesting things. So I I think I was a bit different in the sense of like um, the tech was a bit unusual the entrepreneur was a bit unusual um and and um and probably really being there and 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 probably knowing although I don't know how articulate I was in my mind it's probably revisionist to say I knew on day one I was gonna (laughs) gonna leave but knowing that I was there temporarily I think others were not so clear on what they were doing they were just learning and 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 probably thought they wanted to be a lawyer and were discovering they didn't whereas I probably never really thought I wanted to do it long term but yeah I would say it's like it was it was it was a little bit diverse yeah
1: yeah and so you started i guess to align your interests and your work when you started to move into technology law i imagine and did that increase your enjoyment then you could apply you know a, te- a technical understanding with your you know legal understanding was that sort of a boost in you know interest and you think well now i'm heading in the direction um, where I want to be, because at least I'm using some technology, even if the actual, you know, data operations might be a bit low tech. But, you know, you rep- I imagine representing tech clients or tech, you know, online issues and laws, and, and which is a very, you know, um, interesting area for someone with a tech background. Was that where you started to feel in better sort of alignment with your interests and your work?
0: definitely. And like, yeah, there was probably a moment there where I thought, well, maybe I could do this because it's kind of interesting. Like, I don't love the environment and the culture of the law firm, but the subject matter is kind of cool. I think um the, the team and the thing with like bigger law firms is they're very much, they got a lot in common with a franchise in the sense that there's one big brand, but there's a bunch of partners who have their own little teams. And so every sub, there's a lot of subcultures in the mass culture. Um, and the subculture of the technology team I was in was amazing, like the the partner I worked with, the the seniors and the whole team were just a really good group of people that were all a little bit left of field from the standard lawyers um didn't wear suits all the time <laughs> um and and were just kind of um tech nerds, a bit like me. and so um so yeah i I, I enjoyed it for sure, but it's kind of like um, you know, your one degree of separation from the real fun stuff. This is for me personally. It's like I was writing the the contracts for the tech, but I wanted <laughs> a bit more hands-on with the tech. But but you know, I still do a little bit of technology law these days and I like it and um and uh and it could have been a path I went down, but yeah, ultimately I think I still had been bitten by the entrepreneur bug too young, so so probably it was never going to be the thing I kept doing. Yeah,
1: this is so was a, a thought for a moment. Hey, I could flip client side. We're representing tech companies, tech issues. I could work for these clients, be their general counsel, be a bit closer to the tech action. Was that a thought that you explored, or you thought, no, I want to run my own business. I don't want to just work for you know maybe an ASX listed tech company um, and handle their you know legal matters. I, I want to sort of yeah run a business.
0: Uh, definitely explored it in my head. It was the backup plan. It's like, well, look, I'm, I'm young. I got nothing to lose. I'm going to go start a company and see what happens. Best case it works out. And, and I live my best life. If it all fails and I'm not, not any good at it, then yeah, maybe there's things I could do in technology and law, kind of like what you just said. Um, so, so I don't think I ever thought I would do it instead of the entrepreneur thing on probably Mm -hmm. didn't seriously consider instead of the entrepreneur thing, but, um, but definitely was thinking this is a good backup plan,
1: actually. Yeah. yeah, yeah, if everything goes to hell, you can always be a lawyer for a tech firm.
0: Exactly. And, <laughs> and that would be pretty good. Yeah.
1: And, and so talk to me about the moment when you decided you, like you had this thought, again, from almost the time you're 10 years old, doing business side hustles, you ran a business at uni. When did you decide you were going to start Sprint Law? Was it you know just timing that you had a co-founder? You had Was there a moment or you were fed up? What, what was that moment when you decided to start Sprint Law? Did something trigger that decision? And what was it like once you actually sort of made that leap?
0: Yeah, I think um, since I got rid of that first company and started working as a lawyer pretty quickly, probably pretty quickly in in my mind, I was like, I want to do another company. I want to do a company, you know, the the company I was running before was fun, but it was like a tiny small business that didn't really have scale potential. And, and, you know, at that time, people were talking about all the big tech companies like, um, you know the Twitters and the Facebooks that had started in a garage and grown really, really big. And, you know, um, 2010, 11, um, you know, everyone was getting excited about the idea that you could start a business in your bedroom and have it go global. And that whole dream, and I mean, it's similar to the musician dream I had when I was a teenager, you can start <laughs> a and be huge. It's the same thing with, honestly, it's like the same thing with entrepreneurs, I suppose. It's like, it's the same journey, a journey, which you start yourself and it, and it, and it, and that excited me so i wanted to do something um there was and so um as soon as i came into the, the legal industry i was like wow there's so much opportunity here like and i've got this unique perspective having done tech entrepreneur and now i'm for some weird reason i found myself in a law firm for whatever accident of 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 of, of choice and so i'm going to soak this up and see if i can find something unique um i met my co-founder tomo at uh, the the law firm I worked at both of us were graduates at the same time and we became friends pretty quickly cuz he he like I was a bit different had had a bit of a background in tech and interest in tech had a lot of the same thoughts about the legal industry being different and we kind of became friends talking about business ideas basically at lunchtimes um so you know a little bit of a kernel of of doing something there knowing i wanted to do something i did explore some other business ideas with some other people during the time i was a lawyer not specifically like what Sprint Law is, but equity crowdfunding. I half started a business doing that at one point, which is now a, a pretty big thing. But back then, the law hadn't changed yet. So I was thinking about doing that. But ultimately, um, yeah, my co-founder and I um, just, um, I think, clicked, had a really good um, chemistry in terms of thinking about business ideas um, and and started to sketch out this, this concept of something like Sprint Law. We, in fact, started a a startup practice inside the law firm that we worked at. We started it as grads, just as like a program for the law firm, um, basically saying, you know, you guys represent big companies. Well, small companies get very big, very quick these days. So why don't you let your young lawyers go out? They'll do it on top of their normal workload because they'll love it. And, and just start. let's start a program and, and start helping startups. And they were supportive of that. And we, we went out... Um, my co-founder and I and a couple of others and started this group. And, uh, you know, it was ultimately very hard to do in that law firm context, but we got we we got a taste of the space, a taste of the startup scene in, in Australia, and it kind of paved the way and started started us seriously thinking about a standalone thing called Sprint Law that did what we did.
1: And what was the hardest part? I mean, in terms of running that sort of small business legal support or startup sort of legal support within the firm, was it, you know, the little firms maybe didn't trust giant you know skyscraper law firms was it the fee structure didn't work was it you know like obviously you have a lot that don't grow but everyone's waiting or expecting them to grow into big clients or again was it on the client side that the model didn't fit what what was that sort of misalignment where it's a good idea and grads were keen to help and you know i imagine some small businesses were interested in some startups but but what was that sort of misalignment or challenge that you found inside the firm
0: yeah i think i mean a few things i mean ultimately like um you know the operations of those businesses are optimized for big clients with big budgets who are not price sensitive and and you know are used to getting legal advice as part of their everyday operations and it's it's all about incredible risk management whereas startups have to balance risk with cost basically I still remember one anecdote where we took a a startup I was super excited about. Um, into our office onto the top level in it was the the office was in a nice building in the city with a view of the harbor and you know I was in my suit um, and said you know welcome we'd like to invite you to this startup practice and we can give you some free free support and then um, you know the coffee person comes in because you get a coffee on demand and, and ask them what coffee they want and then I remember the entrepreneur thinking they'd be like excited that they'd, and they will kind of look in at me a bit weird. And and then they said, um, am I paying for this? Like, do I like, is this costing me money? And, (laughs) and, you know, at that moment, it's kind of like, they're building in their bedroom, super cost-effective, hustling new creative businesses. And it's just at odds with that, like super corporate uh, money doesn't matter vibe um uh, in the bigger places and so i think there's a culture difference between the clients and then ultimately there were other problems just with like it's always going to play second field to any other work that the the firm has on the the growth trajectory of early stage startup companies you know nine out of ten of them are are maybe not going to get big enough to justify it so you know if they were going to do anything it would make sense to come in a lot later in the journey not in the early days and then finally just like um just unable to really provide valuable services. I mean, really, the big law firms don't understand startup legal needs because they don't deal with many of them. So that will often, um you know, if you use a, if a startup, any startup who's used a big law firm will tell you that they received like documents that were ten times too long and they understood none of what it means. So you know, capability is another issue, and and really, we didn't have any good resources for startups because we're helping enormous companies. So yeah, those are some of the issues, but. Um, but it was definitely fun to do, uh, you know, at the time.
1: Yeah. So you're almost doing sort of market research for, for Sprint Law in, in the in hindsight, right? Because you understand this is how small businesses, startups think. This is where the big firms have gaps. This is what they're missing. This is what ideally they would want. And then is that what sort of, again, planted the seed of, of sort of Sprint Law and, and some of the early insights in, I imagine, a more tech-driven and efficient-driven um, solution for sort of um, startups' legal needs?
0: yeah there were probably two trigger points um you know lunchtime discussions with my co-founder about ideas on everything inefficient we were doing this should be done much more efficiently and we're just thinking about efficiency plus law and technology and how those things could be enabled not yet thinking so much about the market and who would actually want this thing but more just the operations um we read a book called tomorrow's lawyers by um uh suskind who's a who's a well-known legal thinker um and and Just still remember reading that book, and this guy had just thought about the things we were talking about, um, you know, for a decade, and had distilled all of. He's like, "This is what the future of the industry looks like." Uh, You know, law firms are going to stratify into these categories. This type of work could become highly automated, and so on and so forth. He sketched out a vision in his book. This book, yeah, Tomorrow's Lawyers, um, of the future of law, and that really got us thinking. Wow, like no one's doing this, but we should go do one of these things. There's so many good ideas in this book that relate to what we've been thinking about. So. That helped crystallize it a bit more, but the real trigger point, yeah, was a little bit of market research through that program, but also just stumbling across the small business startup market in Oz, looking into it a little bit, realizing that you know there were these surveys being done back in 2013, 14, that were saying something like 75% of Australian small companies weren't going to see a lawyer when they had a legal problem because lawyers were expensive, time consuming, and just a massive headache basically to use um and, and 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 too complex and so it's like okay we have an enormous market who need legal services they hate the current solution <laughs> and they're cost sensitive we've got these operational ideas to like productize automate streamline legal and no one cares in big law because they're, they're not super cost sensitive i mean they are a bit but not super, but this market is so perfect for our ideas we got to do something and that's kind of where the idea came from
1: And so like a lot of people, you've got the background, you've got the passion, you have run businesses, you're not going completely naive. And then what was the actual reality like? Did people take to the concept straight away? Were people still skeptical, thinking it's just another law firm and a different wrapper? What was that actual first 12 months of operating the business like once you're actually trying to get the product, make it work, you know, get clients?
0: Yeah, I mean, it was, um, you know, looking back on it, it was... um scrappy in terms of working out what the hell we were doing. Like we probably spent the first six months overthinking things that didn't matter and just, um, you know, over planning when we should have just been launching. But I think compared to other companies I've now seen, I think we're pretty quick to catch on. Like, I think when you're in a market like ours, where there's just such an enormous inevitable need, we're not educating a market about a new thing. Like everyone needs legal services anyway. Status quo is so terrible. As soon as something new comes along, people are interested, right? And so I think pretty quickly, we started getting like um, clients and revenue. We bootstrapped the business for the first year and and um, pretty quickly, people were coming in. We were just servicing them manually and trying to build the tech component of our business. Um, and, and at about the six-month mark, I think we felt that we had the core of what Sprint Law was about. We had people that were getting excited and giving us good reviews for what we were doing. Um, and, and it kind of grew from there. So so um, so yeah, it wasn't like it was uh, you know a, a super drawn out process with six pivots or something. We really got there quite quick, actually, I think, in the scheme of things.
1: Yeah. And, and so your company grew 105% last financial year, doing over 2.2 million in annual sales and became one of the fastest growing new businesses in Australia. So was that growth again, once you got the product in and the clients and just sort of a critical mass or were there things that you changed in who you targeted, how you targeted that, that allowed for that sort of rapid growth once you're actually what was sort of in it and up and running?
0: Yeah, I mean, I guess like our vision for the business from the beginning has been, you know, we know what the problem is. It's that small businesses, you know, have a terrible status quo with legal services. We we want to be the place that every small business in, in Australia and now we've expanded internationally. The other markets we're in, the place everybody who's a small business goes, this is going to be amazing. I'm going to use them. We want to be that brand. And so that requires scale and growth. So we've always had big ambitions to grow the business. And it's just about um, how do you scale a legal business? Our business is not a pure tech company. We're like a tech-enabled legal legal business. Um, so there's people, there's lawyers in our business, um, excellent lawyers who use our low overhead technology-driven model to provide these services at a, at a more affordable rate for customers. But... Um, how do you scale a people business? Uh, it's not as easy as a software business where you put on 10 million users for like <laughs> 20 more staff. It's like 10 million users for us is a lot more staff. It can't happen that fast. So, um, you know, first couple of years were really spent working out the operations. How are we going to automate this thing? How are we going to scale it? Can we do it all with technology? The answer was No. Um, But what can we do with tech and what can we do with people and how are we going to scale it? And I think we kind of cracked that 2018, 2019. And a couple of the big things that we cracked were just um, you know, settling on our the level of like finalizing the level of automation in the business, which allows us to have a scalable infrastructure working out um what kind of lawyers we wanted to have in the business and how we were going to recruit them and then our business is a completely distributed kind of workforce so um which is more normal now but pre-covid was a bit more novel completely online and and that again makes it more scalable and so i think what happened in you know the last i mean we've had a good few years probably been doubling each year but the 105% growth um really driven a lot by by us having crystallized our operations to be able to grow that fast and then COVID normalizing online delivery. You know, we've been investing in this online legal model for four years. And then something like COVID happens where no one cares anymore that they don't get to meet their lawyer in person. Uh, and, and so, you know, we're, and we're number one on Google because we've been investing in digital marketing for five years. We float to the top and everyone's finding out about us. So I think that was a big driver of the success we had last year. But behind that is, you know, years of work and kind of preparing for that moment. Yeah.
1: And so what, like you obviously mentioned, it's not a pure play sort of tech, tech business. And obviously, it's not a pure human service, professional service type business like a big firm. Is the gap in some ways in the mind of the client? Like they just want to talk to a lawyer for 10 minutes just to make sure all their automated documents and templates and advice is sort of right? Or are there actual gaps in sort of regulatory requirements where someone has to sign off on certain things? Or is it some things, again, the tech just can't do and there does need to be that human eyes given what's at stake? To sort of um you know sign off on things or what is that gap and like in client regulation sort of internal what are some of those sort of that makes a, a pure tech sort of solution not yet possible
0: you, you you actually did a really good job of summarizing the three main reasons just then those those really are the main points i mean yeah the first is we found early on i mean in the first six months we tried a pure play tech model and it was like just chat to this bot answer it'll answer 20 questions and produce your document and um you know, ask people more than three questions about a legal topic. Doesn't matter how friendly you write it, <laughs> they get bored and don't want to do it anymore. Mm. We, we found that, yeah, the real need was people wanted to just get on the phone, chat to someone. Law is about risk management for people. They just want to feel comfortable that they're going into business and that their risks are covered. And an automated document gives you some of that, but a lot of it comes from asking the unstructured questions to a person. So we realized pretty early on, that's the need. We're, we, what we want to have is, people that are really good at being able to solve that need where someone wants to talk to someone, they can provide those answers. They have all the resources at their fingertips to do so. And we're going to automate everything else. We're going to make the document preparation really efficient. We're going to, all the um, operations, the secretaries, the um, accounting, the the compliance requirements, all automated. So um, we're going to optimize for solving that real pain point, which is that Small businesses just want to talk to a lawyer, ask a few questions and feel comfortable. So that that's definitely one component. Um, there are certain legal packages for small businesses that just require lawyers to to sign off on it or it's very, very common practice for that, like lease reviews and things like that. So that's, that's another component um, of the story. Um, but I do think that there are um, definitely some things, some types of legal services, and I kind of look at it like a bell curve, some types of legal services which can be fully automated, Um, really simple NDAs, really simple website T's and C's. And we've got some of that stuff on our website that can be automated because people just want a document really the majority of what small businesses need are what I call semi sophisticated legal services. They want a little bit of a person and and an automated solution. And then there's a final component at the, at the other end of the bell curve, which is, totally custom, a really complicated or novel issue. And so we're trying to cover the full gambit of it, but with an optimization for that middle, the semi-sophisticated, if that makes sense. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Which I imagine is also the biggest sort of mass market, so to speak, right? Like like every business needs, you know, an NDA, terms and conditions, maybe basic employment contract, supplier contract and sort of, you know, the basics. And that can, like you said, almost be fully automated. Then there's some edge cases that need a little bit of help and then other ones that need complete help. And, and so... Once you take a client on board, or again, like you said, COVID, where even big firm lawyers were were sitting at home um, in in their their spare bedrooms, um, did you find there's sort of less of a human touch needed or people a lot more comfortable with, and it just meant more clients were willing to give you a go, or or as you've evolved, and as people, you know, do a few things with you and then get used to, how does that sort of requirement and sort of sanity check and and conversation with a human sort of change um, as people are more and more used to it?
0: I think um, you know, we used to get questions in the early days. I want to meet you in person, can I come to your office? And we had to say each time we we're a virtual workforce, we don't we don't support that. Um those questions have evaporated, like we just don't get them anymore. It's almost the default that it'll be a Zoom or, mm-hmm. or phone mm-hmm. call. Um so, so that's one thing that's shifted. Um, we're still finding that there's demand for most of our services or packages that we provide for some level of human interaction. Even, you know, we've designed a, a subscription offering that we offer um, any client that wants to work with us over a period of time. Like if you're a small business, you'll come to us for a one, one-off one fixed price job. But if you're if you're going to be working with us on an ongoing basis, you can sign up to this subscription that gives you discounted services. But one of the big benefits of that is unlimited quick chats with lawyers. They can click a button, book a call, and chat to a lawyer. And that service is used a decent amount because a lot of like the way I look at what small businesses need is they need you know, three times a year, roughly, there'll be an event where they need some actual substantive legal help. And in between that, there's just occasions they want to sense check something with someone on the phone. Uh, And so that's kind of how our model's designed. we got packages for the event-based things, which are highly automated, highly streamlined with uh, a people component when necessary. And then um, we got for the ad hoc things, a subscription where people can just talk to someone. So definitely still decent um, in-person engagement from our client base. It's not every day. It's every so often, um, and uh, and and it's one hundred percent online, which is no longer really an issue. Yeah. Mm.
1: And what about on on the other side of the coin, which is hiring staff and lawyers to give those quick consults and sessions? I imagine a lot of people hire like you have come out of big firms, have come out of traditional firms. Are they you know desperate to escape and they hate it and they want a tech driven approach or do a lot? struggle to sort of make the jump to being in a very different practice if they're spent two, four, six years in a big firm operating a certain way, say, hey, this is great. And they say, I like how it sounds, but once you actually get to it, it's sort of uh, such a culture shock, they sort of struggle. Or do you bring in people younger and just kind of with legal experience, but but sort of train them up in your model from the the get-go?
0: More the latter. I mean the big thing for us, you know, on the on the staff side was, you know, and having, you know, the two founders having gone through the big corporate law training programs. In the big firms, the, the the young lawyers are pretty much useless for the first couple of years because the matters are so big and complex. It's an apprenticeship. You follow people around. You do a lot of admin and just watching. And um, yeah, you might get lucky and do a job here or there, but it takes a long time to get enough reps up, enough case studies to actually build expertise. What we've tried to design, and this was a big part of the model, is, okay, we're collecting so much data. We're trying to streamline, automate, and Really collect data on every single job that we do and feed it into the engine, so we can actually get really smart younger staff doing meaningful work from day one. And so our our team is very um, uh, sort of early career staff heavy. And what we want to be as an employer is like the best place if you're in the early stages of your legal career, just the best experience you can get. Because if you come work with us, you're going to do a high volume of cases or high volume of projects. Um, you're going to have all the resources you need to train yourself because it's collected from all the jobs that we do. Um, and, um, and, you know, very quickly, you're going to get that intuitive expertise because you've seen so many different clients and so many different jobs. It might take years at a bigger firm. So I think for the early career staff who, you know, particularly for graduates and things, you know, already there's a generational shift and people are more attracted to what we're doing anyway than the bigger firm. So, um, you know, lots of th- those, those jobs are, you know, very popular and, you um, and, and you know, very crucial to our model. So it, it really helps the resourcing model. We don't really have much trouble recruiting there. We do, though, need a few more senior lawyers in our business to manage the teams, to help out on those more complex jobs and to provide that human training. Um and uh so those are in the category of, you know, the people that worked at the big firms um burnt out or wanted flexibility, or maybe they don't live in a big city anymore and they're not near a big firm. And that we offer them remote work flexibility and the chance to actually manage a team of people in a different environment. And, um, and those are, um, you know, a little bit harder to recruit for, but probably we don't need as many of them in the model. Um, but um, the way that the legal team structured, which is, you know, in a virtual environment, it's very, very different org structure to a physical world environment. And basically we pod our lawyers into teams of five or six and, um, you have know, got more than five or six people on a Zoom call. There's no vibe, so it needs to be five or six. So these five or six teams with a mix of the younger staff and you know one or two of the more senior ones, and the pods will complete the work for the clients. Um, and that's kind of how we do it. And so um, the scale model is really building more pods, hiring, build more pods, and and um, and we have a, a a a sort of internal recruitment team that's job is to is to focus on that and basically onboard really high quality staff and get them you know at the time that we need them yeah
1: yeah so you've got a lot of traction like you said with young lawyers coming up law grads and 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 some senior ones you've got a lot of traction with startups small business do you see a changing um landscape amongst the mid-sized clients and the large clients So some of them say hey where's our tech why are we paying this much for you know lease review even if they might have 400 retail leases there's more scale and complexity than a um, you know, a small business. Um, do you see them kind of also sometimes coming to you and, and saying, well, yeah, maybe we need a retainer or litigation, but for all these other things, why are we paying, you know, big four rates and for the coffees and the rooftop, you know, skyscrapers in, in George Street? And why can't we sort of push a lot of that to, to someone like you? Or is that, again, at more of a longer term, maybe, you know, industry evolution might take another five plus years before medium sized, large clients start sort of, you know, tapping on your door?
0: Well, it's interesting because you know the business when we started it and the vision as i as I said it to you is all about small businesses, and that was kind of like everyone's ignoring this important segment of the market. Let's really focus everything on them. But what you said kind of just happened without us even even really pushing for it. Just bigger companies were saying, yeah, basically like why why do we have to pay these rates for like, um, highly productizable legal work. Can we use you? Like you guys seem so good. We want to use you. We've seen your docs and so on. And so um, we've we have started a sub brand called Sprint Law Council, which is targeted at big companies. Um, it's got its own mission and vision, which is which is very much about helping the bigger companies, um, you know, um, manage uh, overflow work for in-house teams or reduce their external legal spend by using a lightweight model like ours for their for, for their more um, you know productizable legal legal services. We're not pushing it actively, but we have a, a bunch of clients on it and there's a big opportunity there to do something. Um, and so we're just growing it and kind of organically and um, and I think you know we've been we've been playing with the model and 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 it's very popular with the people that are using it. So I think there is definitely a lot of growth room there. Um, as you say, you know, it's probably a medium term thing for us. you know, a, I don't want to lose focus on the traction we have in the small business space, but um, B, I think, the sales cycle and the growth cycle for the enterprise market is so much slower than small business you know small businesses we're getting 100 150 clients a month onboarding for the enterprise stuff you, you know you've got to go through five six hoops to get a client through the door and you just want to make sure that you're not um, messing up your operations that are built for small businesses to support the bigger ones so still kind of a work in progress um but you know there's there's a bunch of clients who are using us now and Um, you know just this week I've had yeah two more reach out um, from pretty big companies that want to use us so we'll see where that heads it's kind of exciting but yeah just trying to work out where it fits into the story at the moment to be honest.
1: Yeah and I imagine you're still connected to a bunch of lawyers and people at big firms how do they react like you said still early stages but I'm sure they're always looking to the future and what's going on do they see people like you again as you enter that bigger market kind of as a competitor, chipping away at their work? Do they not care because they've got these giant retainers with, you know, ASX 50 companies? Do they think, well, w- w- are they investing in tech themselves? they think, oh, well, we can, you know, we don't want to s- see half our sort of, you know, um, like I said, productisable knowledge go out the door. How are they? Or, so I guess are they unaware? Are they aware and doing nothing? Or are they aware and trying to sort of, you know, um, ramp up their tech?
0: There's definitely a diversity of opinions in the big firms in terms of how they approach us. Um, I think a decent amount of the like top tier firms don't really see us as a competitor, nor mm-hmm. I them. They they they're, they're, um, they they see their specialty as providing incredibly complex advice to ASX listed companies from people with you know 20 to 40 years experience or whatever it is, highly personal. Um, inelastic demand, the customers are are not super cost sensitive. And in fact, they just want to make sure it's done by the best in the market. Um, And, and, and so, you know, they're expecting to see the fancy offices and so on when they pay for the services. And so, you know, they, um, and we're not trying to do that. And, and, you know, even when we speak to the bigger enterprise clients, we'll say to them, your complex bet the company work, go to the big firms, give us all of your BAU in-house stuff. That's what we're good at. Um, so I think that the the at least in my in my mind the smart the smarter or the savvier top end firms are not are more are, are welcoming something like us and going well this is good for the lower end of the market and we'll focus on what we do I think the ones that um, you know might see us as a threat are the mid market um, a couple of commentators have have talked about this concept of there being a hollow middle in the legal industry in the future you know the right structure for it should be big brands at the lower end of the market who are highly automated and scalable doing, doing things very efficiently. And then boutique top ends at the top of the market doing highly personal stuff. And right now there's this mid-market, the mid-tier law firms that are kind of a bit of both, but not the best at either. If that makes sense, and so you know, we take their productized work, and the top end take their top end work, and there's kind of nothing left for them in the middle. So you know, some of them are probably looking at what we're doing and um, struggling to adapt. I would imagine, but um, you know, I still think there's a lot of time, and the the pace of change in the industry is going to be very slow. It's not happening tomorrow. And who knows where where the actual structure of the of the market will look like. There's so many subsectors, niches, you know, um areas where we're not we're not active in and probably won't look at for two, three years. Like complex financial technology regulations is an area that we don't do much in. So there's 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 people still operating in the mid market there. So interesting to see how it evolves. But um I wouldn't say we've had um that I've heard it at much negative press or push back from the industry in terms of being under threat I mean we don't we we are not super aggressive, aggressively um, claiming that we're gonna um, uh, you know sweep the entire industry and take over the, the top firms and so um, I think um, you know the claims we're making are in a market people aren't thinking about so it's it's all relatively um, peaceful at the moment in terms of what we're doing I would say <laughs> um, but I guess again we'll see where it goes as we grow we'll see what the other players want to do yeah
1: yeah I think a lot of other markets accounting sort of going through the same thing where again like you know tax for most salaried slash sole traders can be very simple and maybe even a lot more automated in the future but then very complex multi-entity multinational all that very high-end sort of bespoke work will always be done by, by high-priced sort of experts but that middle sort of area either people have to go a bit down market or up market but you can sort of get stuck in the middle and sort of die where it's not complex enough people pay a premium but not simple enough that you can sort of automate it all and you just kind of get, get a bit lost, um, depending mm. on, like you said, whether the tech improves, attitudes change or um, or how these things play out. And so you're speaking to, you know, I imagine hundreds of different Um, business owners scale up startups all these different people every day um just like your staff are so so what trends do you see outside the legal industry just in australian entrepreneurship tech non-tech in in general you know what are australian startups entrepreneurs small business owners doing really well and where are they maybe behind where they could be or or lagging behind other markets that you follow
0: i mean it's interesting like i've been i guess involved in the space for maybe eight eight or nine years now and um there's been a massive change in the nature of entrepreneurship and startups and the ecosystem in Australia just in that time. Um, and I've heard from from even the period before I knew much about it in the 2000s, even since then, apparently, from what I hear, uh, a mega radical shift. Um, and that's kind of cool to see. Um, I think, uh, you know, Australian, there's a lot more venture capital coming to Australia, particularly in the last couple of years. Um, but in the last two years, we're seeing a lot more funded startups you know previously um seven eight years ago it was like atlassian and canva and you know people were talking about those those two as the contemporary like unicorns now there's m- many more companies coming up that are that are you know raising at incredibly high valuations um are, are growing really fast and attracting international venture capital and really have glo- global plans and we're seeing more and more raising work come in um so i think there's more capital around which means more exciting businesses um one thing, I went to Silicon Valley in 2017 or 18, I can't remember, but um, I met an Australian founder there who said to me um, something interesting about Australian entrepreneurs. She was saying Australian entrepreneurs don't do well in um, in the US because um, – you know we're so humble. You know when we're pitching, <laughs> we take we take away twenty percent from the pitch already to be humble. But the investors are so used to hearing overinflated pitches that they'd already deducted twenty percent. So you do a forty percent worse pitch here, <laughs> um, and and definitely like the vision that you um, would hear in the past from the Australian entrepreneurs was like, oh I'll 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 make um I want to get to a hundred million dollar company in the Australian market, which sounds big, but in the U.S. scale of things is not even interesting to their smallest VCs. Now, I think a lot bigger vision is coming out of the market. You know Everything's a lot more globalized. Um, and I, I'm just kind of excited about the space. There's so much um, capital coming here. There's more success stories. Um, and then now more and more of a community growing of, of companies that are helping each other. So generally positive about it. Um, we're lucky to be able to work with a lot of the companies in their early stages and then see them grow Um, you know, one company is a client of ours is, is Zumo, who is like an e-bikes company who we we were, you know, they have, they they started working with us when they were one, two founders or whatever it is, and have now grown to, um, I think over a hundred staff, maybe 200 staff in just a few years. And you just watch the journey, them attract capital and then grow so fast, um, and start to expand into the U S and other markets. Very exciting to see and
1: and be part of. So, um,
0: yeah, just, I'm generally very positive about the whole Mm. space.
1: Yeah, sounds good. And and so looking back at when you were eighteen, you know, you're interested in music, you know, you got, still got a guitar in the background, like so you, you play a bit of music. <laughs> um, interested in tech, you've been dabbling, you know, at home on computers and websites. Um, you're also interested, you know, in the business world, law, sort of professional, I guess, um, high status sort of careers. And, and, you know, if you're talking to someone who's 18 or 20 right now, and again, they've got these different interests, they're at a bit of a crossroads because obviously you've got to study something, eventually you've got to work somewhere and do something. Um, you know, what advice would you give someone like that who's sort of good at a few things, interested in a few things, business, other things, but doesn't really know which way to, which way to go, what would you say to them?
0: I think it's um you know if if yeah if if you know, some people know exactly what they want to do since they're a, uh, since they're a kid and then they just do that their whole lives and and they're those those people should probably do the thing they've always wanted to do but for the people that you're talking about um which is maybe closer to my camp a few different interests in a few different areas I think um you know this concept of like finding your point of difference your comparative advantage whatever it is I mean for me it was putting together tech and law which is like um I may not be the best tech person or the best law person, but um, you know I have this unique angle on the two because I have these combined interests. So I think if you've got multiple interests, don't think it's one or the other. You can combine them, and and if you genuinely like both of them, you're going to find your life pretty satisfying because you're able to flex both the muscles in the one place. I think um, you know um, I uh, very much was working at when I was working at the corporate law firm was like I want to get to a point where the majority of my day doesn't feel like work. That's what everyone says they want to get to. And I, at that time, the majority of the day did feel like work. <laughs> and I, I actually drew a picture at one point where I was like, here is my life now. The percentage of time I spend doing things that I don't want to do is 80%. And I want that to be 10. How do I get from A to B? And and for me, you know, I literally drew a rectangle, which represented my time. And I said, I want to be doing this percentage of my time, music, this percentage of time with, with friends, and this percentage of the time, Doing something with tech and law or a startup, how do I get from A to B? And I don't think you can get from A to B on day one. You can't get there maybe when you're 21. You got to learn things. People won't give you that thing in life. But if you're if you're revisiting that and optimizing towards it and looking at what you have and what you're interested in and where you want to go and 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 feeding that into your path, I think you can get close, if not there. And I certainly feel for me, like I'm close to that. Like, you know, you're never perfectly at a point where everything's <laughs> amazing, but Definitely feel like I'm doing the things I love without having to compromise on them too much. So yeah, I think it is just about those kind of that that way of thinking. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So you sort of you did an apprenticeship, so to speak, in, in tech as a teen and starting your own business, working in a startup, then your apprenticeship as a lawyer, working as a grad, studying law. And then like said, so once you had both those skills, you were able to then uniquely combine them in a valuable way. Um, but you put in the time to do both, you explored both, you never gave up on either. And that eventually sort of combined to, um, to like you said, be a much more enjoyable way to work and live.
0: Absolutely, yeah.
1: All right. And just sort of finish off, what does the next five to 10 years look like for Sprint Law? Like you said, tech industries has changed in Australia, legal industries evolving, COVID, like you said, people are less impressed by, you know, CBD offices um, and, and suits and, and things like that um, and coffee meetings. Um you know, where do you see Sprint Law going? Do you like you've mentioned overseas markets? Is that sort of a play, keeping it sort of small business startup, early, like I said, early stage, three times a year key event for for startup sort of documents with a human element? Is it um sorry a geographical expansion? Is it more tech, which allows more sort of scale? Is it again launching over time a more mid market offering as the, the market becomes ready for that? Um is it a bit of both? What are the sort of um, you know, five to ten year plans?
0: Yeah, all of the above, really. I mean, I think since we started the business, our vision is, is keeps being raised more and more over time as we grow, experience success, and then watch the world change around us. And that's what's kind of been the most interesting for me. Like, you know, um, a few years ago when we started the business, 2017, it's like I can imagine a future world where everyone's using something like Sprint Law or whatever. I can, but that was very much a, I can imagine it's so different to status quo. <laughs> Nowadays, I feel like it's inevitable that this kind of stuff we're doing is the future of this industry. And so we're, we're, we, we got in early and we're at the forefront of it. And I'm sure there will be others. Uh, there already are a few others in our space doing similar things. But um, I think for the business itself, you know, um, we started off realizing this issue in Australia as we've gotten to learn the, 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 the markets more. This issue with small businesses being under service exists in many, many markets around the world. For us, it makes sense to go to ones that are similar to Australia because our operational solution suits it. So we're looking at expanding to basically um, countries built on the same sort of common law legal system as Australia and want to keep expanding. We launch in the UK. That's going really, really well. We're looking at New Zealand and you know um, other, other areas, Canada, South Africa, these kind of places in the longer term, and, and really working out. We've got a virtual team, um, a global playing field because we're virtual, um, how how big can we make this thing and how, and how 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 you know how much impact can we make with our model to help all these small companies around the world and then behind that sort of geographical expansion we'll be thinking about technology to continue to make our services affordable more efficient and better quality for the small businesses it's all about this concept of simplicity and removing the headache and there's a lot we can do using tech and systems and process to keep improving that for our customers so we'll keep working on that and I do think this mid-market offering or the the enterprise thing is is there's there's something sitting there too, and I think we'll tackle that when the time comes, um, or it will it will tackle us at, at the rate it's going <laughs> now. So we'll see where that lands. Yeah.
1: And, and do you think I mean tech and COVID has allowed um, a lot more? I mean, has that fast tracked sort of your your business growth in a way? Because again, there's less differentiation between a big lawyer on a Zoom screen and and again a more tech enabled solution on a Zoom screen. Um, And like I said, it was timing in the right place. I mean, has that changed? If you were talking about your 10 year plan pre COVID, has that changed? Like you said, increase your ambition sort of, you know, right now?
0: Yeah, I think it's accelerated it. Like, definitely, it's a big factor. I mean, there's heaps and heaps of factors, but COVID is such a big event that it definitely has shaken up the whole business landscape. And for sure, we wouldn't have launched in the UK as early as we did without COVID. We did it because we knew that market did not need in person so we could do a lot from australia so we launched there early and that unlocked a lot more geographical ambition so that's one component and then yeah just the growth we've seen in australia the the traction both on the recruitment side and staff being more and more open to working in a distributed team recruitment's become a lot easier as well as client acquisition has become a lot easier because clients are, are looking much much more online and wanting online solutions now all these things have put the fast forward button i think on the on the plan for the business which is super exciting um you know it, it obviously as the as the industry changes really fast it means that other people are going to be doing more more things like us and so it just puts more pressure on us to innovate more with our tech and our model and our scale to make sure that we are the leaders in the space but for now it's been um been a good 18 month period for the business um you know obviously not so good for the world in many ways, but definitely um, has accelerated what we're doing, yeah.
1: Okay, excellent. And um, any final words you'd like to leave the audience with?
0: Not really, no. Uh, just um, really, really great conversation and, and, yeah, thanks for all the questions. It was really good.
1: Excellent. Thanks so much for coming on the show, Alex.
0: Thanks. Thank you for listening to the Future of Australia podcast. If you liked the episode, please subscribe and leave a review in iTunes. To learn more about the Future of Australia project, check out futureofaustralia.com. To reach out to Derek directly, you can email Derek at
1: futureofaustralia.com. That's D-E-R-E-K at futureofaustralia.com.